All right. Well, we're in a series called Let Your Life Speak. But before we get into that, uh, I want to uh, put another plug in uh, for Julie Davis and, uh, and our kids department. We are kind of in this uh, situation where we're in a little bit of a crisis, and, uh, and it's, it's a good crisis to be a part of uh, because even though it's spring break, you look around the room, there's plenty of seats in this space. Uh, the reality is, is down our kids' hall, uh, we've got, uh, we're, we're, we have a, a shortage of space. Uh, I think the last two weeks on uh, second service, we had 10 babies uh, in our nursery, which is a good problem to have, which means uh, you guys are actually doing your job and being fruitful and multiplying, but... Um, but we do need uh, help. We need people to, to serve down our kids' hall. It, it actually, it's not just... Uh, babysitting that takes place down there. Uh, they, they're creating an environment uh, for you to be here and not be distracted by your children, but they're also investing into your children's life. Uh, the statistics say that if your kids uh, have a healthy understanding of who Jesus is by the age of 12, that they're exponentially more likely to walk in a relationship with God for the rest of their life. And so it's really, maybe, it is the most important ministry that we have in this building. Uh, and uh, we, are, we are kind of at a, a um, threshold. Uh, quite a few years ago, we went to two services. The threshold that we were at uh, was around 200. We kept going over the 200 mark. We dropped back down, 200, dropped back down. Finally, we said, we got to go to two services. Uh, everybody was freaking out about it. But at the time, when we went to two services, we had about 40% of our, of our church that were a part of our dream team, our volunteer base. Uh, now we're at the 500 mark. We hit 550, 560. We drop back down to 500, uh, right under 500. Then we go back and forth, back and forth. And so we're seriously having the conversation, like, do we go to three services now? Uh, the, the challenge, though, is our dream team base has not kept up with the growth of our church. Uh, and so we, we need people to, to serve, especially down our kids' hall. Uh, and we've changed the way in which you can get involved. Uh, in the past, you would be a part of something that's called Life Track. Uh, now we have Connection, which you heard um, Bianca share on the announcements, that Connection takes place next Sunday after second service. We'll feed you. Uh, we'll watch your children. Uh, and you have the opportunity then to talk to some of our dream team directors and discover what, what's the best fit for you on a Sunday morning environment for you to serve on. So uh, we want you to do that. You need to sign up for Connection if you haven't been a part of that. This is also kind of our membership. If you want to know more about where we're headed in the next five years as a church, uh, you can come to Connection as well. All right? Well, we're in this series called Let Your Life Speak, and and it's kind of under the understanding that God has a plan for your life, uh, and that his plan actually is not just for the church to exist, but actually the church exists to equip you for the plan and the purpose that God has put into your life, to deploy you into the world for the 95% of your life that you live. Uh, most most of what we do on Sunday mornings as pastors is we stand here and we teach you about the 5%, but we don't prepare and equip you for the 95% of, of the life that you live. 
And so in this series, we've been asking some questions, and, uh, and the, the questions are, are, have been this up to this point. Are, are you the kind of person that's drifting, or are you the kind of person that's seeking? Uh, are, you, are, are you just wishing in this life, or do you have God-sized dreams for your life? Are you faithful, or has your life got derailed? And then last week, uh, Pastor Landon talked about how we are in a battle of our minds, for our minds, that our hearts can deceive us. Uh, and uh, I just have to say what a privilege it is to have Pastor Landon here. He said some really nice things about me at the beginning of his message, and, uh, and, I, and I feel like I need to bring some clarification. I am not nearly as good of a person as he was referring to. Uh, in fact, it was him that made the phone call that started our friendship. So uh, he, he actually is a really, really good guy. He's a, he's a church planter, and I'm not. Right? I, I like to uh, go into situations where there's church transitions, work with other pastors who are in the midst of their transitions. So I'm a, I'm a renovator, not an entrepreneurial planter, but Landon has knocked it out of the, out of the park. Most church plants are unsuccessful. Uh, and Landon has is, is just done a great job, and so it was, a, it was a privilege to have him here. Plus, he's a better preacher than I am, and by preacher, I just mean like he preaches. You know what I'm saying? Like, like he, he's got, he's got the, the southern accent with it, and, uh, and he's a, a much better looking guy than I am. So, so today what we're going to do is we're going to answer the question. You get, I didn't get like, no, Pastor Ryan, it's, that's not true. No, instead, it was like, oh, yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely better looking than you. It's nice to be back from, from my time off. Today, we're going to answer the question, are you, are you working to rest or are you resting to work? So before we answer that question, I want you to just take a moment. We'll just kind of break the ice a little bit, and it feels a little... I just turned the, the air conditioning on because I got hot wearing a sweater. Been in Lake Tahoe, so it was really hot, uh, and now it's cold in here, huh? Is everybody cold? Well, well, it'll shut off in a second. Take a second, look to somebody around you, and tell them what your first paying job was. The first job that you had that you actually got paid for, tell somebody that's sitting next to you what it was. That's right now. Right. How many of you said uh, babysitting? The babysitting was my first paying job. Uh, all, a lot of the women in the room. Uh, how many of you said uh, paper route? The paper route was my first paying job. Uh, how many of you know what a paper route is? <laughs> so uh, one of, the, one of the, my first paying gigs was uh, I had a friend, Craig Stansfield, who had a paper route. And uh, I used to go with him on his paper, and I was so intrigued by the fact that he was getting paid just to deliver newspapers to people's front porch. And I thought, well, I'd like to get paid. Well, he went out of town one day and decided, hey, I need somebody to do my route. 
would you like to do it and get paid? And, and I thought, this is my chance. See, what I didn't realize, though, what didn't compute in my pea-brained head, of the, in, my, in my small mind, was the fact that Craig's mom was so much better than my parents. <laughs> and what I mean by that is Craig's mom would get up at the crack of dawn every morning and drive around in their station wagon with the, the, the back of the station wagon up, and Craig would sit in the back, and he would, deliver the, he would run around and deliver the papers while his mom was driving the route. Well, what I discovered as a substitute paper boy was that my dad had a paper route, and his dad never drove him around, and so therefore my dad wasn't going to drive me around. So instead, I got on my bike and I had this bag. You get this bag that goes over your bike and you fill it up with newspapers and it's so heavy that you can't even steer the thing. You're basically walking your bike. And I kid you not, I grew up in a town called Roseburg, Oregon, and, and in our town there's hills everywhere. Hills everywhere. And it seemed like every house on that, I don't remember it when I was helping him, but as, as the substitute paper boy, I discovered that every house had a dog and that dog hated me. <laughs> I wonder though what our first job description is. Have you ever wondered what humanity's first job was? It's, it's from Genesis chapter one, verse 26 through 28. Let me read it to you. Then God said, let us make mankind in our own image, in our, own, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man, put, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Maybe we learn today to work and to take care of what God has put before you and me. I'm going to show you a picture. It's uh, of a man named John Maynard Keynes. He's one of the most influential people in the 20th century. He's kind of the master of macroeconomics. And regardless of whether or not you agree or disagree with kind of his policies, philosophies, or his positions, what he came up with has had a significant impact on our society. He published an essay in 1930, and it was titled, the economic possibilities of our grandchildren. He predicted that in 100 years, by the time we get to 2030, that we will have gotten to the point that you and I will only have to work 15 hours a week. That we will have five-day weekends every single week. When you consider your life as we press towards 2030, I'm just curious how that prediction is playing out in your life. Right? It's, it, maybe, the, maybe the better question for all of us is, if it did play out into our life, if it actually would be possible for us to only work 15 hours a week, would it actually be good for us? How many of you like watching movies? Come on. Everybody likes watching movies. 
Uh, we, we like watching movies in our, in our family. We used to have a movie night. We were much better about it when our kids were younger. Now my son drives, and so we never see our kids anymore. But, but when they were little, we used to have movie nights, and, and we were too poor to go out to the movies. And let's be honest, when you go out to the movies, it's, it's expensive, the food's expensive, the popcorn's expensive, everything's double. So we just would, would wait, right? And, and so we would have movie night, and there's something about... Uh, there's something about movies that it doesn't matter how healthy you eat, when you're watching a movie, all bets are off, right? Because you've got candy, you've got pizza, you've got soda, you've got popcorn, everything that's the worst thing that you could possibly eat, you're eating when you're watching a movie. And so our family on this particular movie night gathered together on our couch and, and we had all of our junk food, right? And so we we take the DVD, we put it in the... You guys know what a DVD is, right? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a C... No, that doesn't work. It's not, it's not like a CD. It's, it's this disc that you put in a machine and it spins really fast, like a, re, a record that, that doesn't work either. But it spins really fast. It's, okay, it's like this. It's like Netflix, but with a disc for some of you younger people. So we put the disc in, the movie comes on, we're sitting there, we're all ready for the movie to start, and this is the movie that we're watching back in 2010. It's a movie called Wally. Oh, Wally. Everybody likes this movie, right? This is the movie where we've trashed the earth, and now we're in spaceships in the sky, and while we are in the spaceships, this is what we become. So I'm sitting here watching this movie with my kids. I got my soda, and I'm drinking out of the straw. Because it's 2010, we could have them. And I'm eating my popcorn, I'm eating my junk food, and I look down the couch, and I see my whole family eating junk food and drinking soda and all of this stuff. And I'm like, this is what we've become. We've actually become the thing that we're watching on the screen. This is our new reality, our life. When we go on vacation, we, we have the opportunity to go to this house, and it's, it's remote, it's, it's far away from any store, and so we have to bring all of our food in. It's really a big pain, but, but we, there's this buffet that uh, sits by the window, and on this buffet, and I can see it as though it's, it's right in front of me, and, and on the buffet is every kind of junk food you can think of. I'm talking gummy bears, red vines, chips, all kinds of salty nuts, all, all this stuff. It just piled on there for a week and a half's worth of just indulging in the worst kind of food possible. It's probably ungodly, if, if we're being honest. But it's vacation, right? And on vacation, we eat like that. And we can't always do that, let's be honest, right? Because what's good sometimes for vacation is not good for vocation. That's why I tell you that story. See, it's, it's okay to have times of feasting and celebration, but we also have to realize that's not how we were intended to live. So I think it'd be important for us this morning to get a healthy understanding of what we are doing with our work and go back to the first job description to go back and, and see if we can discover anything about this job description that's given to us in Genesis chapter 2. The, the first thing that I notice is that you were made to work. 
and work is good. And before you get your pitchforks and your torches out and get all upset because I told you work is good, you have to hear me out because I'm sure you've heard messages on the dangers of overworking, right? We've probably, in fact, I've given those messages, but I'm curious if you've ever heard a message on the purpose and dignity of work, that God designed work with you in mind. Think about this. When God gives us our first job description, when he gives humanity this job description, he gives it in between Genesis 1 and 2. He gives this job description before things go south, right? But before things go bad, he's giving this job description. He gives us work before there's anything wrong, which implies that even before there was a, a, a drift or, or a, a tear between the relationship of man and God, that work was a part of that. So work is a part of creation. It's not a part of the fall. It's not a curse. Next week, we're going to talk about what happens when work goes bad in Genesis chapter 3. But before we get to that, we have to pause for a second and just realize that work is actually a gift from God. As I said, our family just got back from a, a little time away, and, uh, and we, we go to what we believe to be one of the most beautiful places on the planet uh, in Lake Tahoe uh, to get to go skiing a little bit. And we have this, we've, this is our second year in going, and uh, we've, we've made a tradition uh, and in the tradition, I don't know if two years qualifies as tradition yet, but uh, it's our tradition to back off. Um, it's, it's, it's a house, and in the house, it's got all kinds of, of T-shirts and sweatshirts in it. And so uh, our tradition is that we take our family in there, and they all get to pick out a shirt or, or a sweatshirt, whatever they want, that, that says Lake Tahoe on it. And, and so this year, uh, I came across a shirt. I wanted to show it to you. Uh, it says everybody's working for the weekend, and, uh, and I almost bought it because, honestly, as a pastor, I actually work for the weekend. That's, that's, that's what I do, but, but then I, the more I was thinking about it, the more I realized how bad the theology, I'd be a hypocrite, right? It's bad theology because if you and I were, uh, were designed just to go through the motions, right, we... We weren't designed to just punch the clock or just endure work in order for us to have our real lives on the weekend, right? To, to enjoy ourselves later on, that, that, it's, that we're just doing the job. So how you answer the question, are you the kind of person that works in order to rest, or are you the kind of person that rests in order to work is significant in how you understand your relationship with God and why he has put you on this earth? Jesus put it this way in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In fact, you weren't created to live in a perpetual Sabbath. Right? That, that's not how you were made to, to exist here on earth, to just live in the midst of Sabbath. God created you to be productive, to make an impact in the world. When we look at God, Philip Jensen put it this way, if God came into the world 
What would he be like? He, he poses this question. He says, for the ancient Greeks, he might have been a philosopher king. For the ancient Romans, they might have looked for a just and noble statesman. But how does the God of the Hebrews come into the world as a carpenter? God is a worker. The first interaction, the glimpse, the first glimpse that we get of God is in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And, and it's that he's an artist. And he's crafting and creating the world. Here's how I know it's to be true that we are created to do work. Because the only thing that's worse than a bad job is no job at all. Have you ever met someone who's gone through the loss of a job? Is it hot in here now? No, I'm like dying for the love. Let's find some balance in this place. Oh my God, oh my God, so hot. Did you know that when uh, there's actually web pages, constant web pages dedicated to when you lose a job? Uh, there's things like the five stages of grief after losing a job. Job loss, stages of grieving. There's seven ways to mentally bounce back after losing your job. And if seven or five wasn't enough, there's 15 stages of grief after losing your job. One of the, one of the stages is grieving in isolation, you, that you'll want to be isolated from your family, that, that that's normal because you would not immediately want folks to know that you're out of work. Moreover, you think that it's shameful to lose a job. There's something inherently in us that when we don't have a job, there's, there's something implied, and, and maybe that's a cultural thing or whatever, but I think there's something inside of us that was made to work. I heard a story about a, a man who worked on Wall Street, and he, he lost his job, and he didn't tell his family, and so every morning he would get up and he would put his suit on, he would get on the subway, and he would take it downtown as, as though he was going to his job. And then as he got downtown, he would just wander aimlessly because he was too embarrassed to tell his family. See, I think you and I were created to work. And work is a good thing. The second thing is that you are more than what you do. One of the first questions we ask people after we ask them their name is, and what do you do? Right? Because there's something inquisitive about us to want to know what it is that they do. And sometimes we actually label them based upon what they do. One of the greatest privileges that I have as a pastor in the ministry is, is to be in an environment that's outside of this environment with people that I don't know, whether it's golfing or on an airplane or something in which people are talking and they're swearing and they're saying inappropriate things. And then inevitably they ask, and what do you do? It's the best moment of my life. Because when I say I'm a pastor, immediately you see the, the wheels turning and them trying to rewind everything that they said and recall every inappropriate comment. It's honestly the best thing that I get to do. We size people up. We even reduce people to what their job is. It's really not how it's intended. You have a a graph here I want to show you. And in the graph, what you'll see is that your job is a part of your life, right? It's, it's, it's basically what you do to make a living. We, we work a job. 
but your work is the sum total of your effort and energy. Meaning, when I go home at night, there, there's still work to be done even that has nothing to do with my job. Right, that there's work to be done as a father, there's work to be done as a husband, that there's work to be done as a gardener in the springtime. Right, that, that there's some other things that have to be done that don't have anything to do with my job. But greater than that is your vocation, your purpose, your, your calling. See, I believe that, that God has, has put me on this earth to resource people and churches towards the restoration and maximum impact. That's what I believe God's placed me on this earth for. And the question is, can I do that as a pastor? Well, I hope so. I hope that I can, can resource you in the restoration of your life and, and seeing you go from death into life into a relationship with Christ, that there would be restoration that takes place in your lives. I hope that I get to be a part of that. Do I get to be a part of the, uh, the fact that I can help resource you into being, to having the maximum impact in this world as you live your one life? I hope so. As a pastor, I hope I have the opportunity to do that. Can I do it when I'm not a pastor? Absolutely. I have opportunities all the time, divine moments where I'm sitting on a plane and somebody's swearing and then they ask me what I do and then I have the opportunity to resource them into restoration of life, the maximum impact. Can I do it when I'm retired? Right? When, I hit, when I get older and I hit some age in which I can retire if I ever do, can I continue to be a person that resources people, and churches towards the restoration and maximum impact? Yes. It doesn't stop because that's the purpose and calling that I have in my life. Your vocation is bigger than your work or your job. But I believe you have to go through a process of discernment to figure out what that calling is. It's, it's, why we, it's why I have been promoting and pushing. It's why I had Pastor Landon last week promote and push the unique accelerator. I, I understand that it may seem like a program. It may seem like something, I don't, you know, I got to take time off work to go to it, and it seems inconvenient. Uh, but we're spending a significant amount of money as a church to implement this into the life of our church. And, and my calling was really discovered through going through this process. And so I, my hope, and, and honestly, we, we've got uh, about 18 people signed up. We have a cap of 40 uh, that we can do. My hope is that you will do whatever you can to be a part of it. Uh, if you work and your uh, job may keep you from being able to be there during the day, I would just uh, invite you, if you have to, to take vacation, but I would also invite you uh, to talk to your employer about it because there's assessments that are done. There's the insights assessment. There's a strengths finders assessment. Both of those are uh, kind of secular business-type assessments uh, that your employers may give you credit for in, in your workplace as personal development. 
So I, I, I know it sounds like I'm, I'm kind of um, selling you something, uh, but honestly, we're just charging the $30. It's normally about either a $200 or depending on if you do an accelerator, a $2,500 experience. Uh, I'm, I'm, what we're really wanting to do is make it as easy as possible for people to experience and to, to discern what is God's purpose and calling for my life. Have you ever experienced someone who retires and all of a sudden they just start driving their family nuts? Right? I mean, they're just, it's because they, they, it, they've stopped working and now they don't know what to do with themselves. Somebody asked me in between services, well, I'm retired. You think the unique accelerator would be something uh, that would be beneficial to me? And I said, yes, absolutely. I think if you're at any stage of your life, whether you're coming out of high school and trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life, what a perfect opportunity. Or maybe it's that you've been kind of living a life in a job and now I'm retired and now I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. It's a great opportunity for you to experience and understand this is the calling beyond my job. Wherever you find yourself, if you find yourself just doing a job and wandering aimlessly and wondering, what am I supposed to be doing? It has got to be something more. This is a perfect opportunity for you. You're not just what you do. You're so much more than that. You're not just a student. You're not just an accountant. You're not just a retiree. And if you haven't figured that out yet, if you haven't figured out that you are more than what you do, you're probably wandering aimlessly. So you're made to work, and work is good. You're more than what you do, and third, everyone has a garden. The imagery is that God places man and the woman in the garden, and they're there in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, to work it and to take care of it. Your work is always linked to what you're caring for. In fact, there's no work that isn't somehow tied to what you're passionate about, what you're really supposed to take care of. One of the Hebrew uh, words that I learned in my Old Testament theology class is the word radah. It's repeated over and over again in the book of Genesis, and it's in reference to having dominion over something. It talks about where we rule and have dominion. And one of the great misunderstandings of the word radah is that we have been put on God's earth and we can do whatever we want with it because we have, it's in our job description. We have dominion over it. We've been given charge to rule over it so we can do whatever we want with it. The reality, though, is that if you look throughout Scripture, you will find that that word radah is actually tied to stewardship. It's always tied to we get to rule, but only in the way in which God rules and takes care of and has dominion. See, we don't get to treat the world like they did in Wally, where we just trash the place, right? Just because it's in our job description and we have dominion over it, we're actually called to steward it and take care of it. There's a, an older Presbyterian pastor named Earl Palmer. And when he was describing the word radah, he says that the connotation of the word radah is actually describing in the ancient language what happens to the grapes 
when they are crushed and made into wine. So he says it like this. He, he says, God makes the grapes and calls us to make the wine. Can I get an amen? God has made something, right? God has made something, and he, he hands it over to us to make something. It's what it means to have dominion. It's, it's, the, it's the radah language. God has given you a, a garden. He's given you this little garden, a little place to have dominion of your life. And so the question is, how is your garden? I, I, I don't put a picture of this up, mainly because I thought it was cute. But it, is your garden flourishing? Is it languishing? Is it, is it neglected? Is it fruitful? See, the command of the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply. God has called us to be productive. He is appointing us to go and to, to bear fruit, fruit that will last. The next picture I want to show you is, is of a man named Rafael Ramos. He was a New York City police officer that was killed in the, in the line of duty on the streets of Brooklyn. Everyone loved Raphael. He saw, what, he saw what he did every single day as a gift, as a blessing. As a person of faith, it didn't matter if he was ushering at church or serving in the children's ministry or working the beat on the streets. He saw the streets as his ministry. In fact, the CNN article on the day of his death read NYPD officer Rafael Ramos saw the streets as his ministry. He saw it as his, his garden, his little garden, and he was called to take care of it. The next picture shows just a handful of the 25,000 police officers that showed up to his funeral. Of course, many because of the fraternity as a man in blue, but also because here was a person who saw every dimension of his life as an extension of his call. He saw himself as a reflection, as the, the word is the imago Dei, that, that he believed that he was here for a reason, that he was this reflection, that he was a, a little ambassador, he was a, a mirror reflecting his God while he was on earth. This is what God has called us to do. And as long as we think that we are just here to go through the motions, to punch a clock, only to be able to enjoy ourselves on the weekend, we'll never fully understand the purpose and the calling that he has on our lives. The church was never intended to be a luxury cruise liner where we get to come and, and just sit around eating our junk, never doing anything with the life that we've been given. The better picture I have if we're using the, the nautical metaphor is that of, a, of, a, of an aircraft carrier. The, the, the church should be like that, that, that the church should be deploying people into this world. 
that that ship only serves as a place to get rest and nourishment, but only to be then sent out again, to be the reflection, to be a glimpse of what God has for the world, that we would reflect to them what he's done in our life. I believe that God's put me on this earth to resource people and churches to the restoration and maximum impact that they can have. That's my purpose. What's your purpose? What's your calling? Because as soon as we discover that, it doesn't matter what job you have, it doesn't matter whether you're retired or you're employed or you're going into college, you will live out your purpose no matter what changes in your life. Let's pray. Father, before we were formed in our mother's womb, you have a plan and a purpose. So many people go through this life wandering aimlessly. And God, I believe that you are calling us into our purpose, into our plan. God, my prayer for every person in this room, everyone watching online today, God, is that they would be able to experience the light bulb go off and understand how you've completely wired them and what you've wired them for. God, that every person in this room, when we leave here today, that we would be like mirrors reflecting you to the world in which we live. God, we constantly surrender our lives to you and we constantly ask God, God, will you nourish us? Will you give us rest as we're here on this Sunday morning? But then, Lord, send us out. Deploy us into the world in which we live. You're a good God. You're a great God. And we thank you for the privilege to be here this morning. Amen.